The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. Welcome back, and thanks for listening to another one of our podcasts on leadership. No, I mean, they haven't listened yet. Don't well, think another one, you know, they're going to be listening, listening soon. So yeah. thank you for getting ready to listen to another one of our we'll podcasts. See how many people, <laughs> we'll see how many people last through this it's, whole thing. We're going to track start to completion percentages on today's podcast right. for everybody listening. So please listen through the whole podcast. Uh, this is Ryan Rushton, and today I'm sitting here with Clayton Christensen. Uh, Clay, uh, we often hear that you say that this organization doesn't have enough good, healthy conflict. Uh, it's really almost <laughs> as if you're saying we need to fight more. And you're not talking about just with me, but uh, across sort of Remember the in high school, fight, fight, <laughs> fight, fight, fight. Yeah. Can, can you, can you really help us understand that better? Please? Yeah. I, I talk about this a little bit in our podcast on the five dysfunctions of a team, right? Because the, mm-hmm. the second dysfunction of a team is our, our fear of conflict, mm-hmm. Um, when, when I talk to uh, Tyler Douglas, meaning it's dysfunctional for us to fear to have conflict in our relationships, right? It's not it's not dysfunctional to have the conflict. Right. It's dysfunctional to fear having that conflict. The first one is that we're not vulnerable enough, so we don't trust each other, right? We're not we're not our real selves. So we're sitting there looking at each other, going, "What is he really thinking?" Right? Because we don't <laughs> mm-hmm. have that true vulnerability, mm-hmm. and because we don't trust each other, we don't speak up and have enough good conflict. And you know, to follow through on the rest of the dysfunction, because we don't speak up, we don't buy in, or we're not committed to the cause. If we don't weigh in, we're, we don't buy in. That's mm-hmm. that's the statement. In fact, we we have. Um, what what I like to call the meetings after the meeting, right? You know what I'm <laughs> right, talking I about. I, exactly I think a lot of people about, listening yeah. know what I'm talking about. You have the meeting, people are quiet, then you surround yourself with the people that you do trust mm-hmm. and you say, can you believe that's the solution they came up with? Can you believe that's what we're going to do? And, and, and that all happens because what? We're not vulnerable, mm-hmm. so we don't speak up and have good conflict, so we're not committed. And it just goes downhill from there. It, you know, we're not willing to hold each other accountable to rigorous standards because, right. you know, frankly, they weren't really our standards in the first place because we never spoke up because we were too afraid of conflict. <laughs> and you can see me going in a circle here. Right? No, absolutely. And that's that's a great five dysfunctions in a nutshell. Yeah. Oh, that was perfect. Uh, so the, the sec- second dysfunction really then is the deep dive for today. Uh, but instead of calling it fear of conflict, you're calling it constructive discontent. Yeah, I, I like that phrase, constructive discontent. And hmm. You know, I'll, I'll start with a true story that I, I sometimes tell people when I do the five dysfunctions training in their markets or, or with their teams. And, and it's a true story about a married couple that came up to me once and, and, and in a conversation, they told me they had been married for 20 years and in 20 years of marriage, they never had a disagreement. 
<laughs> I was actually telling, having this very conversation with my wife like four days ago about the story. I, I kid you oh, not. So I'm you not weren't kidding. saying, hey, we haven't had a disagreement in <laughs> I was 20 talking years. about how y'all all get to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah let you continue. It's, it's uh, you know, people start to laugh, their reaction to that. Some, some people say they're not telling the truth. I had recently one impactful response in one of my Doritos trainings. You know what Doritos is? Director of Rehab Director of Rehab <laughs> in Training Opportunity. I think they throw in that O so that it, you know, spells nice, Dorito. That makes sense. But but um, you know, I, I was I was sharing that story and people were kind of laughing and saying they're liars or whatever. Mm-hmm. And one person that was incredibly vulnerable said mm-hmm. very quietly, that was my marriage. And now I'm divorced. Oh. And, it, and it sort of went quiet and, yeah. and uh, you know, with, with her permission, I yeah. asked if we could kind of push forward on that a little bit. But but sort of the whole concept that we discussed was the predecessor to divorce is rarely huge disagreement. Mm-hmm. It, it's more often not speaking up at all. Mm. It's it's not voicing your opinion. I And I think we start to realize that, that, that disagreeing with each other is not only something that we should tolerate, it's something that we should push for and encourage. Um, I don't know if you remember the the cognitive diversity podcast that I talk about and on how even bad ideas, when they're introduced to groups, help to solidify the backbone to the right idea, mm-hmm. right? And and that's why in meetings, sometimes I'll even assign people to disagree. If we all seem like we're on the same page and nobody is speaking up, I'll say something like, okay, I need you three to give your best argument, almost like I'm assigning them to be a defense lawyer to someone that they think is guilty, right? But I need you to put forth the best possible argument for the other side so that we can make sure we don't leave any stone unturned. That makes sense. And I was sitting here as you were as you were talking there. I was nodding at you again, realizing that that nod People does not come through that. well we need to get on some the audio. Video here, on these podcasts, right. <laughs> so I I do remember you saying that in, in a in a past podcast, uh, and how you sometimes will even debate and ask everyone just to switch sides of the debate, yeah, you know, to, to really make the best possible case for the other side. And you've found that that helps you remove ego from the debate. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. I, you know, and, and what I'm doing is I'm trying to establish a culture of debate. See, people then know that I want them to speak up and that I want them to, to help us think of any, any unintended consequences. Right. And mm-hmm. that even if they end up being wrong and, and we don't go with their idea, because again, speaking up isn't all about you have the right idea, so I'm going to speak up. It's, it's sometimes you're going to be wrong with the, with the minority opinion. And, and, but I'm telling them that I appreciate so much their input. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of back to, I believe it's Intel's philosophy, disagree and then commit. Right. Right. Let's, right. let's have it out. Let's fight it out. And then let's commit. See, because my goal is not consensus. That's another misunderstanding. The, the goal of debate is not to just get everybody on board and mm-hmm. say, okay, we're going to debate it until everybody agrees. It's <laughs> right. not majority rule. The goal is for all ideas to be heard, debated, challenged, and tried out on the table. Right? Yeah. All intelligent risks should go through this process. But but then your job as a leader is to break the tie or to make a decision. Even, even if you're the minority opinion, mm-hmm. you know, your job is to make that decision. Everyone's been heard. Mm-hmm. Nobody has anything else to say. Now you need to decide what to do. And I think you'll find in a majority of the cases, not always, but in the majority of the cases that as long as people have been heard, 
they're so much more likely to follow the plan, even if it wasn't theirs. Yeah, I think that's interesting how how you really even mentioned that even if it's the minority opinion that sometimes that, yeah. that still is yeah. the, the I mean, decision I've, you're I've making. I've debated, we, we have leaders in this organization and most of them know who they are where they know I was a no. Mm-hmm. I, I did, but I was heard my, I voiced my opinion. I debated what I thought and then other people decided we're going to hire them. And when I feel like I'm heard... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to back this person and train them and help them in any way I can. And again, I, you know, I know people hear me say this a lot, but this isn't just Clay's philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the the common one I'll share is is Jim Collins in Good to Great. And he says, he says that a level five leader was known to do three things very well. One, right people in the right seats on the bus and Mm -hmm. the wrong people off the bus, Mm -hmm. right? Get out of the right team. Number two, ask the right questions, making sure that you're focusing on the right problems. Mm-hmm. But then three, create a culture of debate. Right. That's that's of of three things that he mentions, that's one of them. And if you I think sometimes people don't realize that they don't have that culture of the debate. The debate. They say, "No, I tell everybody they can speak up." But if your meetings are quiet, you don't have <laughs> There's it. There's not debate, right? Right? You're just maybe not self-aware or, or, or aware of the, the, the hesitancy that they have. Right. So here, here are some other quotes. And, and uh, one of them is John, and I'm probably going to say both of these people's last names wrong. John Cao, K-A-O, of Harvard Business School. And I like this quote. He said, it is your job as a leader to create an atmosphere that transforms antagonism into creative energy. <laughs> That's a great statement. Yeah. Right. That's so get statement. this antagonism, get mm-hmm. this kind of fire, this mm-hmm. friction going and then create. And, and then another one is Peter Senge, S-E-N-G-E. And he's of MIT's Center for Organizational Learning. So we've got Harvard represented and MIT represented. And and he says, he says, the key to unlocking openness at work so, so he's going to answer, what's the key to making people feel more free, right? Mm-hmm. Is to teach people to give up having to be in agreement. <laughs> give it up. Stop <laughs> thinking that the goal is agreement, right? And, and, and still on his quote, he says, we think agreement is so important. Who cares? You have to bring paradoxes, conflicts, and dilemmas out in the open. So collectively, we can be more intelligent than we can be individually. That's such a such a hard thing to to actually put into practice. But it's, and to it, do. once you get into the habit, what about this? But what about that? Have right, we thought about right. this? And and you know, I know I annoy people with my training sometimes because <laughs> I do this. But there's there's an intention behind it beyond just trying to be annoying. No, and it's one of the things that I mean I was going to mention because I, I I've, <laughs> I've noticed it and I've talked about it with with people who have been in in your trainings and and in meetings with you and you're very good at it. You're very good at at uh, really pushing for that disagreement and, <laughs> and getting Fights. people on. Fight. You're Fight. just, it's a talent you have. <laughs> you push for conflicts, <laughs> for you. disagreement. You try to draw them out. And, and uh, no, I mean, it creates great dialogue. So Yeah, uh, and I, you noticeable. know, my goal is to draw, I like that you said draw out, to draw out disagreements, draw out the gripes, right? I, I want mm-hmm. you to, I want you to picture people in that meeting having the silent gripes, Right. But not <laughs> right. voicing them. And that doesn't, it doesn't help to have a wound that is under the surface and hidden and not uncovered, right? Mm-hmm. If, if we don't draw them out, they stay inside and they fester. They're still there. You just don't know that they're there. So there's a, there's a, a story that's corroborated by several people about Alfred Sloan, who was the, the head of General Motors. 
and he was in a board meeting about to make a really important decision. And he said this. He said, I take it everyone is in basic agreement with this decision. Everyone nods their head and says, yeah, in, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. He says this. Then I suggest we postpone the decision. Until we have some disagreement, we don't understand the problem. That's, that's really, really interesting. Um, and and I, can, I can clearly see how statements like that are, are trying to create and foster a culture of debate, uh, like, like Jim Collins was saying earlier yeah. that, we, that we needed. Uh, people start to recognize that disagreeing really isn't counterculture. It's it's exactly the kind of culture that we need to create and, and want to foster. And we're grateful for it. And, and, yeah. Exactly. So uh, do you have any advice on how to actually handle the the, the debate um, that you've now encouraged? Yeah, just carry a taser, right? <laughs> You'll always win. No, I let me give uh, some advice that I feel comfortable giving okay. and some advice that's a little bit hypocritical because okay. I'm, I'm not as, as good at it. Okay. Um, first don't rush to respond, right? When things start to heat up, sometimes the leader almost gets a little bit uncomfortable and wants to jump in and smooth things over. Mm -hmm. They almost feel like that's their job is to smooth things over. Don't Mm -hmm. rush to respond, avoid lecturing, avoid, you know, because if you become just the answer person, Mm -hmm. they'll debate a little bit, but they're (laughs) just doing it to please you. And then they're going, okay, what's the real answer? Right. Right. And, and that's not what you want at all. So what I would do is learn to push with further questions rather than, than lecturing or or trying to smooth things over. You're saying, okay, you say this, why do you think that? Who who disagrees with that? Why do you disagree? If you guys think this is so ridiculous, but there are so many smart people that do this, why would a smart, rational person be, you know, doing the opposite of what we're saying is the right thing to do? You really want them to to look at all, learn to look at all sides and consider the unintended consequences, it, right? You no, know, and it's, it's so interesting that you talk about that because that's one of the things I've noticed that you do, you know, that you really bring out in those trainings. I've gone to the same training that you've done for a number of different yeah. groups of people where you'll get everybody to, to, to debate about a subject. And uh, I, to this day, don't know how you feel about <laughs> that particular question that I've heard you pose and challenge and instigate time and time again by by really not and it's always to tempted to jump in and i'm not saying you shouldn't jump right, in, right right i mean i i'm just saying we we've got to we've got to restrain ourselves so that people feel more free to speak up i i even like the idea that you you alluded to earlier of of asking people to switch sides of the debate mm-hmm. right to mm-hmm. to say okay we're having a debate uh, and I used to do this in my interdisciplinary teams and facilities, and we'd have a debate and I'd say, okay, freeze. Now, everybody, whatever you're arguing, you're going to make the best argument for the other side. Like it's I had, I had to give exercise. them five minutes to sort of think about it. I said, <laughs> make your best argument for the other side. And what I'm trying to do is remove their ego. It's not about, mm-hmm. it's not about pride of authorship. It's not about winning the debate. Right. Because right. sometimes it does become about winning the debate because we want our ideas to be heard. And it's it's about coming up with the best solution, right? I, I love the phrase, and I, Patrick Lencioni says this. He says, healthy conflict is the passionate pursuit of truth without ego. That's the that's passionate pursuit of truth and checking your ego at the door. But that's hard because, you know, we have egos. Mm-hmm. So so now, now once you've, with these questions, you've created some cognitive friction and things start to heat up. Here's the thing I'll say too. Remember I said, don't don't try and smooth it over. Stay open and vulnerable when things heat up, 
right? Don't get defensive. You, if you do, you'll make them feel unsafe. Right. If you start saying, well, <laughs> right. wait a second, right. no, you're missing, hear them out. Let them be heard. Even if you're really anxious to sort of make a point and, and make it clear that lashing out is not a part of good, healthy conflict. Like draw the ground rules. Right. We're not, I'm not talking about all out fights. I'm talking about passionate disagreements where everybody cares about how everybody feels, but it's just this passionate pursuit of truth. Right. Um, and, and in all of it, like, this is one I have to be cautious with too, is don't discount people's feelings, right? Yeah. Like you need to remember that feelings, this is kind of an interesting statement. Feelings are facts to the person experiencing them. <laughs> that's, that's a great statement. Right? Because that's, well, that's, right? that's their subjective Absolutely. reality. Absolutely. And, and if we can be good at this, we can capture the gripes because if we don't capture the gripes, the people, they'll still be griping they, or, or they, they'll still have the gripe, right? Mm -hmm. It's just underlying. They just haven't voiced it to you. So you don't, you don't even know that it's there. So your goal in these meetings needs to be to draw out the gripes. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of of doing your best to uncover the gripes <laughs> so that they can be debated as well. Um, otherwise they're hidden. Yeah, and that you, you can't actually do anything about them. And, and sometimes we just don't want to deal with people's gripes because they get in the way of our work. But if we don't, you know, they, they still have them and they'll always be an impediment to getting. The yeah. Work and, and, you know, when you can learn to carefully craft questions, kind of back to my mm -hmm. first theme, the first <laughs> podcast we did, I'm yep. a big fan of yep. asking the right questions. And I, I still don't think I'm very good at it, but I, I, I think I've gotten better than I used to be. If you can become really good at carefully crafting questions then you'll be really good at drawing out the gripes mm -hmm. so that they can be debated. You'll be asking things that mm -hmm. will challenge them and they'll start to share what they're really feeling so that you can know, you know, what's what's underlying. And then and then finally, I'd say that, you know, in the end, it's not just about having a disagreement, right? Mm -hmm. Constructive discontent is more about getting to something that we can become more committed to. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's uh, the phrase. If you don't weigh in, you don't buy in. The constructive discontent is making everyone feel free to weigh in and say what they're thinking or feeling. So once everyone is weighed in, you know, be clear about the commitments that you're going to make and how you're going to keep them and hold each other accountable for them. Once everybody's had a voice and then you say, okay, thank you, everyone. This has been amazing. All of your opinions have been fantastic. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to hold ourselves accountable to this. And, and I, I need to know that everybody is committed. Yeah. I, I again, I'm going to go back and say, I just, I, I really love the term constructive discontent. I just, yeah, love, it's love a good how one. It that. Um, and, and I can see how this is a lot more effective when we're able to get everyone comfortable with weighing in. Uh, people are afraid to say something stupid or I am. Likewise. I can think of meetings all the time when I think, uh, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. No, likewise. Or you don't want to come across like you're not a team player because you're, you know, having a, a differing opinion from or the you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Exactly. Now, I just had this recently where, where an email went out with the service center leadership team and it was such a small thing. Mm -hmm. And I sat there like, should I say that I disagree with this? <laughs> right. And I, and then I did. And after I did, there were several others that said, yeah, I, I, I you know, 
again, it was a small thing, and and the all the reasons why I justify myself to not, not speak say, up. Yeah, ah, like, it's a subjective opinion of mine. I might be wrong. I might <laughs> right. hurt somebody's feelings. Right. I'm just gonna shut up. And we need to find a way to create more freedom to speak up in those moments. Now that's a, I, I think that's a great example, and it really becomes a a, a paradigm shift in thinking that that yeah. You know, Helps people see that 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 is being a team player. You know, the more they challenge the status quo, rather than than just going along with it and yeah. accepting things. You know, it's funny. So I, I hope I don't offend anybody on this. Uh, and and I think even just by making that statement, HR just clenched a little bit. <laughs> um, but I don't like bumper stickers. And I'm sorry to everybody. I'll share my favorite has, one uh, with you after the podcast I, is over. I don't. I I just you know why devalue a car? Why why? <laughs> so I'm I'm not a I'm not a big okay. fan of uh, bumper stickers. And by the way, you know I, I read some of them. And I think you know just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's true, right? <laughs> I see some of these that rhyme, and I think. That sounds neat, but that's not true at all. I totally disagree I, I, with that. I like that. Just because it rhymes doesn't but, but, make it okay. true. Okay, so none of that has anything to do with my point. But uh, <laughs> but there's one that I've seen a lot, and I think, you know what? That has some value. Uh-huh. And maybe you've seen this one. It says, question everything. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, you I, know? I like it. Yeah. And, and it's such a simple one, and mm-hmm. I'm still not going to stick it on my car. But, <laughs> but, but if you were to, it would be that Yeah, be the, I mean, that's one that I think, yeah, that's a good one. And and you're not questioning everything to be annoying, uh-huh. but but to check for unintended consequences, the the things we aren't thinking about. I, You know, I, I, I've talked about uh, historical events like the Bay of Pigs, and, mm-hmm. and maybe I talk about this too much, but it was interesting to me. I mean, this is sort of before my time, but... Um, you know, where, where they, the government went through on a, on a project because everybody in the room seemed to agree. And then it only turns out till after the disaster hits that, that people were like, "Eh, I didn't think it was a good idea, but (laughs) I didn't want to speak up because everybody thought it seemed to think it was a good idea. Mm. And, and, and they probably didn't speak up because they probably didn't trust each other enough. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And they were probably afraid to have conflict. Well, I don't want to get fired if I speak up and, and your job as a leader and, and remember, remember what a leader is. A a leader is not, I'm not talking about authority. Mm. Your job as a leader, as an inspirer, as somebody that helps people know what their why is. So everybody listening, I hope is a leader. Your job as a leader is to help people feel safe to speak up. And and I just we need to change that. We we need to become more comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That needs to be something that we be, get used to. And I, you know, I I I think this is an important clarification as well. Rigorous versus ruthless. We need to be rigor, rigorous right. in our meetings, not ruthless. It's not about hurting feelings. It's not about minimizing people or their ideas, but, but that's ruthless. Rigorous is all about that idea and scrubbing it down and making sure that we, we really understand what we're talking about. Uh, you know, there's a big difference there. The goal is not to hurt. The goal is to challenge and push and see things from different angles. Um, that's a big difference between the two. Yeah. I mean, anytime I ask this question, everybody seems to rattle off. What's the definition of insanity? Right. They, and, and people say, well, it's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. We've got to develop a culture of constructive discontent that allows us to challenge the status quo. Right. So to do that, we create safe spaces for debate. This is your job as a leader. No, that's that's really good. And it's something that I'd love to get a lot better at, which is creating the kind of culture because our meetings do become so me- more so much more meaningful 
Yeah. Um, when we have good, honest, healthy people conflict. like the meetings yeah, more. They do. They're more engaged. They come <laughs> yeah. way more energized. You get better outcomes. Um, I, I've always personally liked the story about how that was really one of the key things to how the Wright brothers, Wright brothers invented human flight. Yeah. Uh, you know, they debated and challenged each debating. each other all morning. Uh, they would go break break bread together, have lunch, and and Very come back cordial. to the debate. Yeah. Well, of course, back we, we in those clusters, days, was, yeah. we have clusters that are like this. That you go into their meetings and you see, you'd almost get uncomfortable if you don't know their <laughs> dynamics. Right. Then they go and you're, they, they it's have the most just casual, a nice, nice lunch, lunch together. And they're like, oh, you guys love each other? Oh, <laughs> These are the weird. same group that was just talking? Yeah. Uh, and then they come back. Uh, but then after lunch, they would uh, commonly switch sides of the argument, uh, ultimately to remove ego right. and, and to just make sure that they were looking at it from, you know, from a place of, of not having an ego. And it yeah, was a great it, way to create breakthroughs. It is. And, and um, you know, I'll share a couple of, of quotes uh, that, that I think will, will help establish this as, as well. Uh, William Blake put it this way. He said, without contraries, mm-hmm. so that, that cognitive friction, without contraries, there is no progression. So, so we need to learn to welcome healthy conflict sort of as a stimulus to innovation. We... We have to learn to prefer dissent over consensus. Sometimes, sometimes we, I mean, I, I sort of feel like I like consensus because it's easy and it's quick (laughs) and okay, everybody agrees. Okay. I've got backing. I've got my, I've got my cover with your consensus. We need to value dissent and and praise dissent. We need to stop worrying so much about smoothing things over Mm -hmm. or even burying discontent because discontent can be Mm -hmm. Annoying and time consuming mm-hmm. to us. Just mm-hmm. be happy so I don't have to deal with you, right? <laughs> it's and a, and right. we, we need to, yeah. we have to be willing to debate it. Even again, I'll, I'll restate this even if the contrary opinion is wrong, it holds value to solidify the right solution. That is a, that is a great statement. Honest, I mean, there's an amazing honestly. story, and I won't tell it again, but it, it just, just this mayor in Vermont that wanted to, um, solve the heating problem of, in his town in Vermont. So he proposed building a dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, ridiculously expensive. It was never going to work. And it got all the way past HUD. And it took a call from Jimmy Carter saying, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> but what it led to was a great hydroelectric plant uh-huh. that that bad idea led to the best idea the town had ever discovered. And, you know, to this day have cheap uh uh, effective energy. <laughs> and so, so there's value to contrary opinions, even when those opinions are wrong. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, this requires the leader, this, this interesting idea, it requires the leader to deflate themselves a little. It's, it's, it's not about sometimes as a leader, I almost feel like I'm trying to navigate my team's answers to answers that I already have mm-hmm. almost, almost manipulative or leading. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but if I deflate myself and I open my mind up to other possible solutions, I, there's, there's a quote from Gandhi that I've always really liked. And I, I didn't think I used to understand, maybe I still don't understand it, but he says, I must decrease myself to zero. Yeah. Th- this idea that I've as a leader, it can't be about me. It's got to be about the ideas. I have to remove my ego and my pride of authorship as much as I can. And this is sometimes hard for us. 
I, I say get rid of pride of authorship and people say, oh, yeah, no, I agree with that. But, but I, I <laughs> do can, it. It's very you know, hard. I, I think it really is hard. Imagine, you know, scenario I can give you. Imagine you spent all night coming mm -hmm. up with some great presentation <laughs> mm -hmm. and then someone else uses it and receives all sorts of praise for it. It's sent out in a newsletter right. and you're thinking, right. wait, wait, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> but, but if you remove pride of authorship, you shouldn't care. Right. You should just be excited that the great idea is out what there. Was the but, but we have egos yep. and we've got to somehow remove that pride of authorship and and learn to only care about the right answer, not not where it, came where from. it comes from. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is uh, get a little bit of ADD here. This is honestly <laughs> the biggest issue with politics that I I see, right? This this idea that I voted for a candidate and somehow now everything that candidate does is right. And everything the opposition does is wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how we get. We get we get so like fired up and we need to learn to not back people. We should back ideas. Yeah. There should be times when I love this candidate and there should be times when I because I if we're really thinking, we should probably disagree a lot. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. But, but we almost feel like we have to back them because we voted for them. Right. right. And and, you know, don't support candidates, support policies. And when they support policies you like, like them and when they don't. Don't like Rise them. up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. speak up. And, and, you know, I just feel like if if we can learn to have good, healthy conflict that way, which again, I'll restate this, healthy conflict is the passionate pursuit of truth without ego. Yeah, this, is, this has been a really fascinating and enlightening podcast and subject for me. Um, Hopefully our listeners are still there. <laughs> you I thought we had an them. agreement at the beginning yeah. that just they started to have to finish this the one because that's how we were tracking them. today's. Um, you know, and I've known this is, this is really a, a, a true principle. Um, and I've, I've feel like I've learned a lot more, um, depth to it today, um, and why it is true. Do you, do you have anything really else you want to add before we finish up? Today? Yeah, there, there were a couple of funny quotes that I, I sort of didn't really know how to, where to put in here. And okay. I, but I, I, you I know, like the sound they, of where they, this they is sort going. of solidify the point and they're not, I know I'm, I'm not selling these very well. They're not incredibly <laughs> deep, but they still make you think. So, I mean, as an example, Groucho okay. Marx, I mean, if you don't know who Groucho Marx is, just Vanessa, Google, go, Google, go Google Vanessa, Groucho Google. Marx. Um, and, and he says, he says this, he says, whatever it is, I'm against it, which is obviously he's, he's it's tongue in cheek. You know, whatever you're talking about, I'm uh, against it. Yeah. But, but I know some people think that that's how I conduct my meetings or my trainings. Right. And maybe, I've had maybe. people say that I've said, I've said, Hey, who's been in a training of mine that wants to share with others who haven't. And, and they'll say, whatever you answer, Clay's going to debate you. Right. And, and that's, I, I, I would, I would second that I, motion. I think they yeah. say that in an annoying way. I don't mean it to be. And I also like what William Wrigley Jr. Said, mm -hmm. he said, and, and I don't know that I even always agree with it, but I like what he's saying. He mm -hmm. says, when two people in business always agree, one of them is unnecessary, <laughs> right? I, I like what that makes me think about where, where we're here to disagree. Right. If that's our value to each other is to see right. things differently. Huh. And I, so I do like that point. And I guess I'll conclude with a quote, and this is just from an article in the Harvard Business Review, and it's called Seeing the Future First. It's, it's sort of about these, these innovative companies. Okay. And it says this, it says companies that create the future are rebels. They're subversives. They break the rules. They're filled with people who take the other side of an issue just to spark a debate. In fact, this is kind of funny, they're probably filled with people who don't mind or didn't mind being sent to the principal's office once in a while. <laughs> right? So, yeah, for sure. so if nothing else, 
you know, we just need to be willing to be more subversive, <laughs> to, to rock the boat, to, to speak up, whatever you want to, whatever phrase you want to use, to be willing to be uncomfortable and say, okay, I get that all 12 of you in the room, you know, see it this way. Can I propose another way to look at it? Mm. Because mm. only then can we be different than the industry? It, only if we're willing to challenge with constructive discontent. No, that's that's awesome. Thank, thank you very much, Clay. I know I'm personally excited to go practice some more constructive discontent. Um, <laughs> and for everyone make, who, who listened to the end. You can go make as many people <laughs> as unhappy as you possibly can. I think you missed my point. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to re-listen to this and I'm sure I will get it. Well, but again, thank you very much for your time today and and uh, thank you for everyone who, who listened to the end. We will see you. Uh, you yeah, listen to you. Listen to you. See you. Darn it. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. Thanks.